Hey, come on in. Sit back and relax. You're listening to episode 218 of the Wealth Tech Today podcast. I'm your host, Craig Eskowitz, founder of Ezra Group Consulting. This podcast features news, information, analysis all around wealth management technology. This is our January news update. I'm psyched for the news. I always love the news, and so do you. I know it. We've got some great stories to cover today. Let me just go give you the quick rundown. So first uh, first up is going to be Bill Crager transitioning out as CEO of Investnet. Big news. Number two, Vestwell raises $125 million Series, C, series D round. Number two story. Number three story is going to be uh, Osaic acquires wealth management business of Lincoln Financial. Number four, Adapar is going to do an IPO. And then uh, our last story is, one of my favorite parts, a uh, review of the Advisor Tech map and the Wealth Tech integration score. First story just dropped today. This is um, big news and it's fresh off the wire. Bill Crager to transition out as Investnet CEO. Wow, that was uh, not surprising, but not expected. Certainly didn't expect that um, so soon this year. Uh, so Bill uh, took over after the death of co-founder Judd Bergman in October 2019, as we all know. Uh, he's been a terrific leader under trying circumstances. And of course, Bill was instrumental in building the company into the market leader in wealth management technology and uh, TAMP services that they are today. Uh, I'm sure there are some people who are asking, did they expand too far and too fast? There's been a lot of news uh, about investment. Of course, they're being the market leader. They get uh, they have a lot of news out. Uh, just last month, there was news that they were exploring the sale of their Yodely arm, uh, the data aggregator Yodely, which they acquired in 2015. It's a bit so long, eight years. Uh, 2015, that they paid uh, $590 million for Yodely in 2015. Uh, a Raymond James analyst wrote in November that persistent deterioration in the Yodely business is a cause of real concern for Investnet. So not good news when you're trying to sell uh, a component of your business that the, the business is, de is deteriorating, but uh, they're still looking to sell it. So is that a sign of where they intend to go with the business? Do they intend to start breaking things up? Uh, do they intend to make a sale? We we really don't know. Their, their revenue history, if you look at it, over uh, annual revenue over the past number of years has been slowing. Uh, 2017, 2018, 18% growth. Then it dropped in 2019, 2020 to 11%. Uh, bounced back up in 2021 to almost 19%. And then sort of came uh, back down to earth in 2022, only up 5% revenue growth. So it's not really a great sign for them. It looks like 2023 could be another down year. We don't have, of course, fourth quarter results yet, but their third quarter results uh, up to the, for the nine months ending September 30th, their total revenue is down 2%. Uh, total net income is down 25%. still on a loss. Uh, no, adjusted revenue, whether adjusted EBITDA is uh, up 8% and is positive, and their adjusted net income is up 5% and is positive as at about $97 million which of course you can find on the InvestNet website. But there's a lot uh, to talk about here. Their, um, their asset-based recurring revenue, which would be the TAMP, PMC, their outsourcing, increased 9% in the third quarter, uh, uh, which represents 
of the total revenue. So they're about 60-40, uh, 60-40 asset-based, 60% asset-based revenue and 40% uh, SaaS revenue. So there's there's lots of options here. You know, which way do they go? I wrote a, a LinkedIn post uh, today with just some thoughts off the top of my head. So the media, of course, will start um, positioning this as another in a string of CEO departures that we've seen in the past year or so with Eric Clark from Orion uh, stepping down, Aaron Klein from um, Nitrogen Wealth, formerly Riskali, stepping down, Evan Rappaport from SmartX Advisory stepping down, uh, and as well as a few others. Now, Bill uh, is one of the founders of Investnet, so similar to those other founders uh, and CEOs, haven't been a huge part of their growth. Uh, they've hit over five trillion in client um, AUA plus AUM, over a hundred thousand advisors. Clearly, the largest in the space, the technology leader, especially in the enterprise uh, area. There's no other vendor that really has that breadth and depth of offering, plus service and support, and a comparable client base that Investment has. You know, at Hedger Group, we do a lot of conversions uh, from diff from one vendor to another, and um, you know, when you're going to a certain scale, when you're talking about, um, you know, over over $50 billion in assets, there aren't that many firms out there that have that, but those firms are almost exclusively on InvestNet, uh, at least the ones that are uh, recently uh, transitioned. It's just difficult to to move a business of that size onto any other vendor. Um, now, that's not to say it's always going to be the case, and other vendors are growing fast, and they're going to get there eventually. But right now, we're doing, we're in the middle at Ezra Group of a large broker-dealer conversion to Investnet right now, and there weren't really a lot of other options for them. So Investnet is still in a good spot, but it's not going to stay that way. They've made a lot of acquisitions that were harshly criticized. And you know, from a consultant's point of view, those various components that they picked up still are not as tightly integrated as we would like them to be. And they still kind of operate as discrete businesses, especially when you talk about Tamarack, Yodely, Money Guide. You know, those are some of the biggest acquisitions. They're good businesses, uh, with, the, with the exception of the comment from Raymond James about Yodely. Uh, but Tamarack is a leader. They've got 40% of the uh, RIAs with a billion or more in assets are using Tamarack. Money Guide is still um, up there, although their uh, independent RIA uh, share may be declining, according to some surveys, uh, but they still have a, a huge market share in the broker-dealer space. Now, there was other big tech that they acquired, which you may have forgotten about. Uh, remember Folio Dynamics, which I believe Investnet paid $200 million for and um, uh, shut that business down, tried to convert uh, clients over uh, to their core platform. Um, had some uh, hit or miss success there. And lots of smaller acquisitions like Harvest Wealth, uh, Advisor Innovation Labs, which seem to have uh, maybe disappeared. We don't really hear much about them. So a lot of people expected these different pieces to come together into a more cohesive platform. But you know that goal may have been impossible to reach considering all the legacy tech they were trying to connect into the legacy tech they already had. Now, of course, uh, as I mentioned, Investnet is still the leader in the both the RIA and the broker-dealer spaces, um, and there's lots of competition gunning for them. So who are they going to pick? What type of person are they looking for as the new CEO? Uh, we really don't know. There was an email that came out today. Um, you know, Ezra Group is uh, works with a number of Investnet's clients. 
um, either doing support for them, uh, doing strategy, converting to uh, their platform, converting from their platform. Uh, Investnet, uh, full disclosure, Investnet has also hired Ezra Group in the past for product strategy, which we have done for them, uh, though we're not working for them at the moment. So uh, an email we received from Investnet said, I want to assure you first and foremost that Bill is not going anywhere. All right, good to know. Uh, Bill remained as CEO through March, at which point his official title will become Senior Advisor. Tom, uh, Tom Sipp, Executive VP, will continue to lead Investnet's business lines, partnering closely with Bill and Board Chair James Fox, who will serve as Interim CEO at that time. I also want to assure you that the leadership team that Bill and Tom have put in place over the past year are committed to our clients and to continuing our, to execute on our strategy. I would expect that. In his new role uh, as senior advisor, Bill will work closely with the operating group, focused on delivering client results and executing on the major initiatives that Investment has undertaken in the last two years. He will be an accelerator for our teams and will help us to achieve our very ambitious goals for the next few years. As we continue to expand our product offerings, extend our market reach, and foster deeper client relationships. So, what is next for Investment after Bill Krager? Um, you know, we've seen a lot of firms, as we mentioned, change CEOs, and it's not unusual in many different industries for the founders at some point to to move on. Uh, it's not because they uh, there's any issues necessarily with their leadership skills or with their vision. It's just that firms grow over time; they change, the market changes, and oftentimes the person. Uh, there's a great book called "What Got You Here Won't Get You There." So uh, while Bill's done a great job. Up until this point, maybe the board decided that he wasn't right going forward, or maybe he decided he wasn't right and wanted to to take a break. Uh, you know, after 25 years in any one business, uh, it's not unusual for someone to say, "Hey, I want to take a break. Uh, you know, do something else, clear your head a bit." Uh, so this could be a great move uh, for everyone uh, involved. Now, I've been uh, checking with some people I know in the industry and pulling in some some comments. So these are some anonymous comments that I've that I've uh, gathered. So uh, some people think that they that the board gave Bill till the end of this year to improve. Uh, numbers didn't look good, and this is why they are um, requesting that he move on. Again, there's no evidence of that. This is just people's opinions. Um, and he they think there might be, uh, with the, the Yodely um, rumor, they might be looking to sell off other businesses that um, hadn't been sold in the past. Uh, they could, here's a crazy idea, they could sell the TAMP business and become a pure SaaS. Just because, uh, you know, investment's got the technology platform and they've got their TAMP business. They've got PMC. Um, they've got uh, lots of different things. Um, and asset mark would be a comparison as a pure TAMP. And there's lots of interesting numbers if you look at um, the comparisons, if you look at just asset mark as a TAMP versus investment. Um, asset mark is around $100 billion in AUM, yet their market cap is around $2.2 billion. With investment, They've got a much larger uh, TAMP uh, asset base, uh, according to uh, numbers, 363 billion, so triple. They're triple asset marks AUM, yet their uh, market cap is only 2.8 billion or 3 billion. So only 30% more. That's a uh, uh, an issue there. there. There's clearly an arbitrage somewhere in there. Uh, and there's lots of ideas. Do they, do they split off the TAMP business and become pure SaaS? Do they sell it? Um, do they do someone come in and buy the whole company and then split it up internally or spin off different pieces of it? Um, there's a been talk about 
um, different partners that have uh, been announced with Investnet, such as, uh, you know, older partner was uh, BlackRock. BlackRock invested, I believe, $125 million to buy 5% of the company. They may want to buy Investnet, and then they could take the TAMP, since they're an asset manager anyway, that would just fit perfectly with them, and then absorb Tamarack and the Investnet Enterprise Platform, Money Guide, uh, into uh, their BlackRock Solutions unit. That's an option. They could do that. Uh, or maybe uh, there's an option, there's an idea that they get acquired by FNZ. Uh, FNZ, they announced a partnership with them last year where they're going to be reselling their custodial solutions. Uh, so that could be an option that maybe that, you know, that's a very common for firms to start start first with a partnership and learn about each other, get a little bit um, uh, familiar and then make an acquisition or a merger. Uh, so that's uh, an option. And of course, FNZ, is looking for a U.S. business bridgehead. So there's there's one idea. Now, spinning off or splitting off the TAMP from the SaaS business and keeping them both as public companies is one option or selling to a PE firm is an option. Just looking at the revenue multiples for a sale, uh, a TAMP is about, normally when a TAMP is sold, it's about three times revenue. But when a pure FinTech SaaS business, uh, that's also, that's growing, right? assuming it's growing, when they're sold, they could be eight to ten or twelve times revenue. So clearly, there's there's an arbitrage there. Of a, if someone could manage to peel off the SaaS, SaaS business um, that's been really uh, highly integrated uh, with the TAMP business, I don't know if they could even do that. It's possible. Uh, so that would be something that could unlock some hidden value in uh, in the firm here. So there's a lot to talk about. Uh, speaking of asset mark. Uh, just last month, a Bloomberg article came out saying AssetMark's uh, Chinese owner uh, is exploring strategic options. So it sounds like they're not happy sitting with what they're holding. Uh, Watai, Watai Securities, am I saying that right? Sorry if I'm bungling that. Watai uh, is working with advisors to evaluate the possibilities to sell a full or partial sale uh, of their holdings of AssetMark. The Chinese brokerage owns almost 70% of the company, according to securities filings, and they acquired SMR in 2016, uh, then took it public, selling off 30% in the IPO. So uh, this story just broke today. Expect more details in the coming weeks, and we'll be following along. Next up, Vestwell raises $125 million in a Series D round. Vestwell, the record keeper as a service, an employer and individual savings platform provider, has quietly become a major player in the world of government-backed investment account businesses, uh, uh, whether the business of uh, government-backed investment accounts, accounts like, uh, of course, 529s, we've all heard of, uh, government retirement accounts, uh, ABLE accounts, which are for uh, people who are experiencing disabilities, as well as private sector investment accounts. Uh, they've really been building up uh, behind the scenes quite the business. So with 529s and ABLE accounts, uh, it's interesting, uh, they both got a boost from the SECURE Act, SECURE 2.0 Act. Now, ABLE accounts, I, I wasn't aware of this before uh, recently, um, ABLE, A-B-L-E, stands for Achieving a Better Life Experience, and they're established by state governments and were authorized by Congress in 2014. They allow beneficiaries with qualifying disabilities to save in a tax-advantage account, provided the money is spent on eligible expenses, which can include higher education, as well as basic living and housing expenses. 
Now, we all know what a 529 account is. It's a tax-advantaged plan, uh, state-sponsored, used uh, for higher education, usually for children. So Vestwell has been building a business managing these types of accounts, and uh, they've been raising a lot of money. Uh, along with the $125 million Series D round, in July of 2021, they raised a $70 million Series C round. Now, this most recent round has given the firm Vestwell a valuation of a billion dollars. Uh, impressive. Now, they've raised a total of $237 million across all their funding rounds, according to data from Crunchbase. Existing investors include FinCapital, Primary Venture Partners, and FinTech Collective, uh, as well as existing um, investors, uh, Goldman Sachs, Allianz Life, uh, Northwestern Mutual. And Vestwell's board now includes Lightspeed. Um, so they've uh, they've really been expanding that nicely. Uh, the company will likely turn profitable in the next 18 months, according to a press release. And an IPO is, very, uh, is a very real possibility, according to CEO Aaron Shum. Now, Vestwell has 350 employees and plans to use the proceeds from the latest round of funding to help boost its sales and engineering teams and bring out new products such as emergency uh, savings accounts and health savings accounts. Now, the state-run retirement plan market uh, is complicated. Uh, there's a heavy startup cost, and you've really got to get a certain scale before you can earn back those startup costs because you're you're still covering your operating costs. So um, uh, some consult industry consultants see this funding round as confirmation that there's a lot of investors out there who believe in the Vestwell business, and it validates what they're trying to accomplish and their um, position as a leading provider. Now, there's an industry consultant, um, I was reading an article, I believe this was in Investment News, which says that Vestwell has won every single bid they put in for a state retirement program. That's just impressive. Um, and states aren't the easiest places to work with. Uh, there's a lot of paperwork and bureaucracy and being able to navigate. Uh, every state has different uh, procurement processes and being able to win multiple bids is, is certainly uh, an accomplishment. Now, uh, Vestwell has built up this, this market share. Uh, they are now the record keeper for nearly half a million 529 college saving accounts, totally near, totaling nearly $15 billion at the end of the third quarter. And um, they've also, they also administer more than 74,000 ABLE accounts, totaling $735 million in assets, representing a 47% share of that market. You'd think that market will be bigger. Only a billion? Is that, wait, 47%? Okay, so 1.5 billion total? That's a shame. Well, it did just come out a couple of years ago, but you'd think more people would take advantage of that. Uh, according to uh, sources, um, the the whole retirement business, uh, state retirement business, is very much a relationship game. A lot of these same state agencies or even have this the exact same person oversees their 529 plans, the ABLE programs, and the state-facilitated retirement programs. So Vestal seems to play very well together in those different arenas, and it's why they've been able to pick up these wins. They, they're targeting the right people and uh, offering multiple options. And I, I've always recommended it's better to have one vendor than three vendors if you have three different programs because 
you're going to get better, hopefully better pricing. And when something goes wrong, you've got one person to call. Uh, it's it's uh, it's uh, it saves a lot of time and money. Now, some recent news on Vestwall in August, uh, it was announced that Vestwall is managing the first multi-state retirement program. Uh, that that's uh, started. They're using Colorado's existing auto IRA functionality as the framework to launch a program in Maine. So Vestwall has been charged of record-keeping responsibilities for the auto IRA program in states including Oregon and Connecticut. Uh, and in this situation, the Maine Retirement Investment Trust opted to partner with Vestwell's Colorado Secure Savings Plan and copy that program. So they will eventually offer about 40% of private sector state employees the chance to access workplace retirement accounts through an auto IRA option. Vestwell will administer the program with BNY Mellon, running record-keeping, custodial, and admin duties for companies and employees in both states. Now, as it stands, it's, a, it's a really incredible. Vestwell is the only company that launched any state auto IRA program since 2021, and they administer more than 30 programs across numerous states, including auto IRAs and 529 college saving plans. Uh, in just last month, Delaware announced that they were launching their own auto IRA program called Delaware Earns, and <clears throat> excuse me, they partnered with Colorado, which is run by, guess who, Vestwell. Uh, so now Delaware's private sector employees who don't have access to retirement savings can um, get into this program voluntarily, and it's fee-free for employees, um, and more, uh, again, Vestwell's running it. And it comes on the heels of this news comes on the heels of New Jersey in September, selecting Vestwell as their program admin for the Secure Choice Savings Program. So Vestwell just cleaning up when it comes to these government run, uh, state run savings programs. And just for uh, your edification, an auto IRA is shorthand for an automatic enrollment individual retirement account. These programs require companies of a certain size to offer a workplace retirement plan of their own or facilitate payroll deduction into a state-sponsored IRA at no cost to the employer. Now, if the latter part of a worker's paycheck would be automatically contributed, generally uh, 3 to 5% of earnings to the state plan, workers can opt out. So it's an opt-in, which we all know uh, greatly increases participation rather than an opt-out, rather than or the, rather than requiring them to manually opt-in. More than eight hundred thousand uh, private sector workers participate in an, in an auto IRA program, uh, which holds more than one billion dollars in total savings. Again, pretty small. Hopefully, it'll grow. Uh, there's lots of workers out there that could use this program. And I have to tell you, all the credit goes to uh, Aaron Shum and his team. Aaron being a visionary founder, having started uh, Vestwell back in 2016. Um, and uh, from people, people have told me uh, that they believe he's more accessible than the typical fintech CEO. Uh, certainly better looking uh, and a nicer guy. Uh, and it couldn't have happened to a nicer guy. So congrats to uh, Aaron on all his success and uh, and the the whole team at Vestwell. And to find get more information about Vestwell, go to vestwell.com. And the next story, Ozaic acquires the wealth management business of Lincoln Financial. Now, this transaction will include the sale of, uh, to Ozaic of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation and Lincoln Financial Securities Corporation, 
are the company's two independent broker-dealer and registered investment advisory firms. Together, these entities comprise a national network of approximately 1,450 financial professionals. Additionally, Lincoln's home office employees who support the wealth management business will transition to Osaic to continue to lead and support the business. Now, there's approximately $108 billion in assets, $71 billion in AUA, and $38 billion in AUM. Uh, so it's a big deal for uh, Osaic, uh, continuing to grow and become, uh, they're clearly one of the leaders in the space uh, right up there with LPL in terms of number of advisors and total assets. Uh, the transaction is expected to provide approximately $700 million of capital to uh, benefit to Lincoln upon closing, and it's anticipated to be used primarily to increase the company's risk-based capital ratio. So this is uh, another in a long string of uh, insurance companies uh, divesting themselves of their wealth management businesses. We've seen other firms such as Jackson National, Securion, Boya, MetLife, who've all done the same thing uh, to the benefit of uh, various IBDs and other wealth management firms that are now growing in sign as, as they acquire those businesses. There will be some upheaval. Of course, now at Ezra Group, we, we do a lot of work with broker-dealers, and we often help when they're doing acquisitions. There's always issues uh, with uh, advisors moving from uh, one broker-dealer to another. Uh, lots of complaints. What we have found in, in any um, conversion or any um, acquisition is uh, the rule of thirds. About a third of the advisors are going to love the idea, uh, and those are your biggest fans. You want to you want to uh, cultivate them, get them, uh, make sure that they're out there promoting the uh, the change. And about a third are going to be indifferent. So they're just want to get their business done. They're open to see what's happening, and they're the ones you really need to focus on because um, they can make or break the conversion. So we want to get those third on your side. Spend a lot of time with communications, a lot of internal marketing. Uh, a lot of training uh, and hand-holding of those guys uh, and women. So then there's the last third. The last third are the ones who hate it, hate the idea. Uh, they're actively opposed. They're going to actively try to undermine the uh, the work and, and then the deal. So those guys, you want to wait for them. Go to, go after them last. Uh, get your first two-thirds uh, under your belt and then uh, start working on the last third and try to win over as many of those as you can. Um, now, I think... Um, Osaic, headquartered in Phoenix, has roughly 11,000 uh, advisors and around 500 billion in total assets. And of course, the company rebranded from Advisor Group early last year, and they are backed by private equity firm Reverence Capital Partners. Uh, let's see if I have a couple more tidbits of information here. Uh, uh, so, um, Osaic, uh, where the Reverence Capital Partners have recently announced that they're seeking to sell up to 20% of their stake in Osaic, which is interesting. So kind of, it's like reading two parts of the newspaper at the same time. Here, Osaic is acquiring, um, still in, in acquisition mode, still still spending money, uh, and yet their PE firm is looking to sell. So um, they're clearly continuing to grow, which is, you know, scale is incredib uh, incredibly important in our business. Now, um, the Reverence Capital Partners stake in Osaic, which includes Osaic Wealth, Triad Advisors, Osaic Institutions, and Woodbury Financial Services, is estimated to be worth $2.5 billion. It's a nice round number. And I think Woodbury is rebranding as well uh, as of this month. Now, most of the RIAs and broker-dealers uh, who I've uh, 
spoken to over the years who've been acquired by Ozek have had relatively smooth experiences, which is um, uh, a great testament to the team at Ozek, the core uh, internal team that does a lot of the work uh, converting advisors over, not only to their affiliation, not only to their compliance and reporting, but to the tech platform. So the tech platforms are are the areas that we really focus on at, at Ezra Group. Um, now, I know Lincoln Financial broke a deal of clears through Fidelity, um, having switched from Pershing uh, about 10 years ago, five, eight or 10 years ago. Now, in 2017, uh, Lincoln Financial Network um, uh, announced that they had partnered with Fidelity to rebuild their tech platform, which is called Advice Next. And much of it was built on Wealthscape, which is Fidelity's proprietary tech platform, which they... I know they tried to integrate uh, e-money into that uh, to uh, mixed mess to mixed reviews. Now, related to our earlier story about Investnet, this deal is good for Investnet. Why? Because Ozaic, uh, the former advisor group, is one of Investnet's longest tenured and largest IBD clients. So they've been on the Investnet uh, enterprise platform for all this time. Uh, very strong uh, client for them and. Most likely, now that they're acquiring Lincoln Financial's business, the the advice next platform built on Wealthscape will go away and they'll transition it onto Investnet. So another hundred billion for Investnet. So chalk that up um, into that category. If you're looking for more information about Ozaic, you can get them at Ozaic, O-S-A-I-C dot com. Next up, Adapar is planning an IPO. Now, for those of you who aren't aware, Adapar is a wealth management tech platform that specializes in data aggregation, analytics, portfolio reporting, um, mostly for alternative investments. At least that's where they uh, started uh, life out, um, focusing on uh, alternatives, complex, illiquid assets like limited partnerships and private equity. The firm was founded by Joe Lonsdale and Jason Mira back in 2009. Uh, and the firm has its origins linked back to Palantir Technology, which was co-founded by Lonsdale in 2004. Now, the platform was initially developed to meet the needs of single-family offices. In fact, it, I believe it was Lonsdale himself who uh, had problems with his own family office and decided to uh, build this technology, figuring other family offices would have the same problem. They work with independent advisors, private banks, broker-dealers um, uh, across more than 30 markets globally. Uh, and they were really focused on the family office and ultra high net worth space. They have since uh, greatly expanded. Uh, they currently manage assets. Their AUA is over $5 trillion as of December 2023. And the company has a team of over 850 full-time employees. Now, the breakdown of assets, uh, according to the company, around 40% uh, is now in alternatives and private assets, meaning 60% is in public assets. So uh, a bit of a shift there. Uh, according to CEO Eric Poirier, uh, RIA assets represent more than $2 trillion of the $5 trillion of AUA. So they've been really making some inroads into the RIA space. They have over 1,000 client firms uh, in that wide range of companies. So they're, um, having them IPO uh, makes a lot of sense considering the, the, um, the state of the markets and the state of their, of their tech. Um, Adapar has always been very high end, and they've always charged uh, a lot for their for their technology because they could. There really wasn't anyone 
with the capabilities around alternatives and others, uh, other assets, and especially in data aggregation, pulling the data in, uh, that that could really match Adapar. But now they they're moving uh, downstream to higher end um, RIAs. Now Adapar is backed by investors such as 8VC, which is Joe Lonsdale's firm, uh, Formation Eight, D1 Capital Partners, Panoramic Panorama Point Partners, Signatures Capital. Sway Ventures, Laszlo Bach, David O. Sachs, Harold McPike, and others. Now, the latest Adapar valuation that we that we have, uh, I think it's from 2021 in the Series F round, which is around $2 billion. So that's a decent amount. Not sure if it's gone up or, or down based on the markets. There has been some news on Adapar. In 2017, they acquired a company called AltX, which has machine learning technology, um, around to describe alternative investments uh, and incorporate reference data. So this technology identifies and normalizes both structured and unstructured data. So this helps them with their uh, reporting on alternative investments. And in May 2020, Adapar announced the launch of their own alternatives marketplace where clients could acquire illiquid assets such as hedge funds, private company securities, uh, liquidity solutions for fund interests. So it's a nice uh, additional uh, revenue stream for the firm. And uh, in October 2021, they made a, a, a big acquisition uh, buying trading rebalancing platform Advisor Peak. And that was a big uh, tell that they were moving into the RIA space, although they had previously had an arrangement or a rebalancing deal with Red Black in 2017, which makes a lot of sense that they acquired Advisor Peak since Advisor Peak was founded by some of the alumni of Red Black as well as Trade Warrior. Now, the um, when they acquired them, uh, that really gave them a good foothold because now they own the technology. They had started to talk to Advisor Peak uh, and were partnering with them. And as we've said many times, a partnership is often the first step towards an acquisition, as we saw in this case. Now, even earlier, there were some rumors that Advisor Peak was looking to buy the old Folio Dynamics business before investing and acquired them in 2017. So clearly they've been... Um, working their way into the RIA space for quite some time. The total funding at, at a par is around $475 million, according to Crunchbase, uh, again, including the Series F, $150 million in June 2021, uh, and a Series E of $117 million in November 2020. So they've certainly got plenty of cash uh, to make acquisitions like they did with Advisor Peak, uh, expanding out their, their, their teams, uh, uh, building out sales and marketing as well as and we've seen a lot of job postings from Adapar, specifically in their um, outsourced um, uh, or their overseas location in Pune, India, looking for software engineers, data engineers, integration engineers, as well as people with experience in trading and rebalancing. So they're clearly looking to keep building out their, their uh, Advisor Peak tools with uh, some qualified software engineers. And we could they could have an ecosystem of act, of applications as well, such as sort of a Salesforce app exchange, according to CEO Eric Porter, or something else they're also looking into. If you want more information about Adapar, go to Adapar A D D two Ds A D D E P A R dot com. And now it's time for my favorite part of the news. It's the Advisor Tech Map and Wealth Tech Integration Score update. So as you know, uh, Michael Keatsis and I produce the Advisor Tech Map every month, which you can find on Keatsis.com. And we uh, review all of the companies' products that want to be added to the map. 
and also talk about changes to the map or reorganizing it to make it more useful and beneficial because that's really the point of the map is to provide value uh, to independent advisors, uh, wealth tech firms, investors, uh, anybody who's interested in technology uh, for individual advisors. So one note, if you are a product company, but you uh, have software, but you're actually a service, you're not actually a software company, we're probably not going to put you on the map. So the map is designed for software vendors. If you are selling software, if your primary means of generating revenue is software sales, either uh, per seat or licensing or some other method, but you're selling the software itself, then you're going to get you have a very high probability of getting on the map. If you are really a service provider that uses software as part of your service, then we're not going to let you on the map. So just a heads up, we get every month a couple of companies that have great services, you know, fantastic services that really help advisors out, but they're not software companies. So we can't put them on the map. Just a heads up. So the new companies being added this month include Boosted.ai, and their website is exactly as I just said, and they are an investment research provider. Their website says, supercharge your productivity with AI built for investment management artificial intelligence software that helps investment managers save time, improve portfolio metrics, and make better data-driven decisions. I'm always questionable, uh, questioning anyone that says they got AI in their technology, especially when it comes to portfolio assistance. Um, I'm always uh, very skeptical of any AI claims. Um, boosted AI uses proprietary algorithms to sort winning stocks and losing ones. Eh, I'm going to call the red flag on that. Um, Boosted AI is customizable to your specific portfolio. Okay, great. That's important, but AI isn't part of that. Cut hours from research by letting our large language model search tens of thousands of news sources. Okay, that's interesting. If you're providing, uh, asking a questions uh, about 10Ks and 10Q data, and you're going to provide results to me, that's interesting. Um, I'd really want to see more information about how the AI is going to uh, sort winning stocks from losing ones, but you can find out more at boosted.ai. And they, they now appear in the investment research category. Another company called Complect. That's right. That's how it's spelled. Complect. C-O-M-P-L-E-C-T.com. We, we really like their website um, and their tagline. Make compliance suck less. That certainly jumps right out at you. An all-in-one compliance solution for investment advisors. Uh, always looking for more ideas and ways to make it easier for advisors to deliver compliant program management and, uh, and manage compliance across their firm. So check out Complect, C-O-M-P-L-E-C-T dot com. And finally, WealthHawk, spelled exactly as it sounds, WealthHawk. Now, this company is interesting. In fact, it was so interesting it in it uh, it pushed us to create a new category on the map. What Wealthhawk does is find uh, it's lead. It's not lead gen. It's really prospecting, because they are finding um, new prospects based on money in motion events. Then they capture background and lifestyle data as well as mutual connections and affiliations to create a prospect profile. Um, follow that money in motion event to newly created recipients and then help you convert these deals. So this is really not lead gen per se, it's more prospecting. So uh, it encouraged us to create a, a brand new category, which you'll find on the map, 
If you have the map open, it's the upper far right-hand corner under business development. It's called prospecting. And there were three firms, three vendors in that space. One is Wealthhawk, which you can find at wealthhawk.com, as I just mentioned. Another one is called AIdentified. Identified? A-I-D-E-N-T-I-F-I-E-D.com. Identified, which is another similar firm that is looking for prospects uh, and helping uh, advisors identify prospects and doing research on those prospects and, and maximizing your connections. Aid Identified is also there. The other firm we put in that category that which does do prospecting is more prospect organization. It's called Catchlight. It's at catchlight.ai. And I've spoken about Catchlight many times. Uh, they are they were incubated in Fidelity Labs and they don't find prospects. They help you organize your existing prospects. So you uh, feed them your list of existing prospects and Catchlight will order them in prioritization order based on their financial complexity. And according to their proprietary algorithms, which are based on AI, I did do some deep dives on Catchlight's underlying tech. It's really AI. Come back with a proprietary score for each prospect, uh, ranking them in, in terms of their financial complexity. And their methodology shows that the more financially complex a prospect's life is, the more likely they are to convert to using an advisor. So that's catchlight.ai. Also one of the three vendors in the new prospecting category. Welcome prospecting to the financial advisor tech solutions map. We're happy to have you. One thing I'm not sure I mentioned earlier um, was deleted. We deleted, um, I think it was last month, the any firms, any products that were enterprise had been pulled off the map. And that was a long discussion Michael and I had about the, the goals for this map and it it really has always been independent advisors for this particular map. So it didn't really make sense for enterprise products to be on the map. So we pulled them off, I think, as of last month. Certainly, it's a, I'm looking at this month's map, and they're not there. Uh, what Ezra Group is doing, we're going to be coming out with our own map of just enterprise um, um, products, platforms. So look for that very soon. Another interesting aspect around the map is uh, I'm, I'm interested to hear your feedback. If you want to email me or or tweet at me or post on LinkedIn, what do you see the differences between the following four categories? Document management, forms management, workflow support, and digital onboarding. They all overlap in many ways. Now, there are some firms that do one or the other or pitch themselves as one or the other, but they really all require very similar capabilities, features, and functionality. There are some slight differences, but there's so much overlap. So that's something Michael and I are debating. We're, we haven't made any changes yet. We haven't updated anything on the map yet. They're still all separate categories, but we are considering something to, to reorganize that area. So just a heads up there. Around the wealth tech integration scores, thanks for all the vendors uh, that are being added to the map for filling out your surveys. Please... Um, Go to our website and, and contact us and fill out a survey if you are a new platform or if you have added new capabilities, integration capabilities to your product, please let us know um, at azuregroup.com so we can update your wealth tech integration score. We've also recently launched a press release uh, last month about the recognition program for the wealth tech integration score, where firms that have uh, a 6.0 score or above, which is excellent, then or an 8.0 score or, score or above, which is superior, 
are allowed to use uh, the new Ezra Group badges that uh, you can use to highlight the fact that you've got a great score, that you've got strong integrations. You can use this on all your marketing materials on your website uh, and promote it. Uh, we also have some research available as part of the program. Please contact us at ezragroup.com to find out more about the Wealth Tech Integration Score Recognition Program. All right, you've reached the end of another episode of the Wealth Tech Today podcast. Thanks for listening. Before you go, go to our website, ezragroup.com, scroll to the bottom of the homepage, and sign up for our newsletter. Once a month, you will receive an email chock full of wealth management goodness, news, information, updates. You won't be disappointed. Thanks again for listening, and talk to you all again next time.